I'm going to have you open your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 4. And I, I personally didn't get a chance to talk to our worship team about what I'm preaching today. And both songs have exactly a message that's connected to the sermon. And I find that uh, interesting as uh, it talks about uh, laying down our burdens and it talks about committing to the Lord our, our troubles. And so we know a little bit about this church uh, or this group of churches that Peter wrote to. They were uh, suffering persecution at the hands of Nero, the cruel Roman em emperor. And uh, he's writing to encourage them. He's writing to speak to them about what was happening. So uh, we're going to put it on the screen. You're going to see it here, 1 Peter uh, 4, uh, verses 12 through 19. And I decided uh, um, to give the sermon a title of Triumph and Trials. In my Bible, it, 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 the subtitle above this is, talks about Christians and suffering. And, and it's true, but I like to look at even further down the road, uh, that we will tr triumph, that there's victory in our trials. Amen? And this is what Peter's going to allude to and teach us this morning uh, as we go through it. So let's do this. Let's look at the text. Um, and if you don't mind standing, it's not too many verses. And we can look at it. It's on the screen. Um, it reads... As follows, the word of the Lord, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glory God in that name. It continues to the next slide. Next slide, guys. All right. For... It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is righteous, or rather scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Amen? Let's pray for the word and for the sermon this morning. Father, uh, these are your words as you inspired the pen of the uh, Apostle Peter. And we pray, Lord God, that the Holy Spirit would also uh, give us a spark of faith in our hearts as we hear your words. Not only to understand, but then to apply, to practice, to live these truths, Lord, and to experience them so that we might bring honor and glory to your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to see the things uh, that, uh, that you would have us to see this morning, so that we might grow in our faith and leave this place, Lord, 
being able to be effective witnesses of the good news of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And we thank you in his precious name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Okay, so. This first verse is popular. And I think it's a good way to grab our attention. Uh, first, Peter addresses this group of believers, this, these churches that were scattered. He says, beloved, uh, which means we're loved. Beloved means be loved. You are loved. And we're beloved because we're in the beloved. Anybody know what the beloved is? According to Ephesians, it means to be in Christ. Men, to be loved is because we're in Christ. We belong to Christ. So he's addressing this, uh, the, these loved believers, and he just gets right to the point here. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So what I want to try to do this morning is look at four attitudes that are necessary in order to be triumphant in our trials. The first one is what he says here, do not be surprised. In other words, expect it. Number one, expect it. See, because we have a tendency when the fiery trials come onto our lives to say what? Why me? Don't we? He's saying, don't be surprised. Right? He's saying, nothing strange is happening here. Don't be surprised. And I think that instead of asking, why me? We should understand and say, why not me? <laughs> I know it takes a lot of maturity in Christ. A lot of faith. When the trial comes, when the difficulties come, not to ask, why me? But to ask, why, or to say, why not me? And at the same time, I'm going to challenge you to ask the Lord, what is it that you want me to learn through this? Because they're given the trials, there's fire. We know from the experience of the, uh, of the three Hebrew young men in Daniel, that the Lord was with them in that fiery oven. There was a fourth man in there. The appearance of the Son of Man, it says. It's a reference to Messiah in the book of Daniel. See, the Lord's going to be with us in our, in our fiery trials. And because he's with us, and because we're in the fire, as gold is, and we began, Peter, by talking about how gold does what? It refines, it purifies, it purges us. It makes us, if you would, cleaner before the Lord. Holy. You know, it's really funny about trials. If you, and when you're going through them. And I can say that this is what happened to me um, a couple months ago when I was sick and really bed, bedridden for days, couldn't, really didn't want to get out of bed, I remember that all I could do is think about and pray and ask the Lord to be with me. And nothing else mattered. 
It's funny how these trials reorganize the priorities of your life. All of a sudden you realize what's important and what is not important. What really matters and what's, what doesn't matter at all. And some of the things that, you, that we give value to are silly. They're not important in, in our lives and we see that. What's important uh, and we see and it, we come to learn about what's important when we're in the fire. So he says here, uh, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you though uh, as though something strange were happening to you. No, nothing strange is happening to you. Don't be surprised. Let me make a couple points. We how many of us know we live in a fallen world? Yeah, we live in a fallen world. How many of us know also that the mercy and the grace of the Lord falls on the just and the unjust? So there are people who are receiving grace that don't even know him because they're alive. And then there are people who know him that are also being treated unjustly. And you might say to yourself, well, that's not fair. And you're right, but at the same time, you're not right. Because when it comes to fair, it doesn't exist in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. Our DNA may be a reason why our health is not very good. That doesn't mean we can't pray and ask for healing, but we live in a fallen world. There may be a time when we lose our job. Doesn't mean that the Lord still can't meet our needs and supply our needs, that he's still not our provider. That's when you really get to see him and know him. The word here happening, look at it verse 12, uh, again, uh, that we're looking at here, verse 12. It says, as though something strange were happening. Happening means as though something uh, strange were happening or something fell by chance on you. In other words, like the song, you didn't see it coming. Isn't that weird about trials? They show up when you least expect them. That's why he says here and refers to it as a surprise. The enemy can raise up his ugly head and just show up. Uh, you're like, where did he come from? You ever see that game at the fairs where the little, like, I don't know if it's a, like a beaver or something, their little head pops up and you're supposed to bop it and you, you, you keep missing it? That's how trials are. They show up out of nowhere sometimes. You don't even know where they came from. You didn't even know they existed. And that they fall in your lap. He says, don't be surprised by that. The Christian must not think, is what Peter is telling us here, that these trials, that these persecution is something that happened accidentally. You know they're not. Right? I always like to teach on when disciples were told by Jesus to get into a boat and to cross the Sea of Galilee. And they got in it. And then he fell asleep. And when he fell asleep, all of a sudden a storm rose up. Out of nowhere. 
And they were being obedient. They were going to the other side of the, of the Sea of Galilee, like he had said. He was tired because of his ministry. He was so tired because he was constantly working and healing and teaching and uh, all doing all those things that, that, that Jesus did as we read the Gospels. And so he's asleep, and then all of a sudden the storm rises up, and they begin to be afraid, and they, they rush to the Lord to wake him up and say, Hey, Lord, don't you care that we're going to perish? And he just looks at me and goes, Oh, ye of little faith. Where did the storm come from? It doesn't say. I've read the commentaries that that type of area, the geography with the mountains surrounding this, the Sea of Galilee, has a tendency, kind of like Rialto, when the winds come down, to, right, the Santa Anas, there's this tendency. And, and so it could happen any time where they would be in trouble all of a sudden on, and, and in their boats. But we don't know. Uh, maybe the enemy sent it. Because after all, where were they going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee? What were they going to do there? This is an example of how these things happen. Surprises us, but they don't surprise the Lord. They were going to deal with the demoniac of the Gadarenes. Remember the man that was possessed by a legion of demons? As soon as the storm's over, that's where they go. That man is set free. He goes to preach to the Decapolis, which is those ten Gentile cities, not Jewish cities. Jesus gets back in his boat with his disciples, and they return to Galilee. Where did that story come from? We don't know. God, God could have sent it to test the disciples. After all, they were afraid. After all, they, they discovered that they didn't trust the Lord, and they questioned his love and care for them. It could be that the enemy sent it because he was trying to keep them from going to the other side of the lake. We don't know where they come from. But we do know this. Wherever they come from, whether it be the hand of God or whether it be an act of our adversary, God either ha God allows it. It can't go beyond or past the Lord without Him permitting it. Do we understand that? It, the Lord has to allow it. And if He allows it, it's designed for our better because it will test us, it will cleanse us, and it will cause us to mature in our faith. And that's good. Amen? So, don't be surprised. Don't say, why me? Say, why not me? And then ask the Lord, okay, Lord, now that we're here, what do you want me to learn? And how can what I learn bring honor and glory to Christ? Because after all, we're supposed to be witnesses. He sent out his disciples in Acts chapter 1 to be what? Witnesses. And he gave them power to be witnesses when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. So that's the first reason in verse 12 of how we can triumph in trials. Expect it. I'll never forget my pastor. This is 30 years ago. I was sitting in the pews just like you. And he used to always say, and I didn't get it, cheer up, saints, it's going to get worse. And I'm like a born new Christian, trying, I'm like, it's going to get worse. <laughs> yeah. But you're going to be more powerful because you're not walking alone. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. 
If God be for us, who can be against us? We just can't avoid these trials. We're not going to be able to avoid persecution if we're genuinely Christians. If we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Amen? So one of the best things to do is just expect it. I'll talk to Yolanda here, being a fellow teacher in our public schools. I expect kids to not listen to me and be defiant. You say, why? Because they will be. Now, I'm going to preface it. They're not all that way. There are good kids out there, too. I'll let you know that. Great kids. But there's also the kids who are going to challenge you as a teacher. And there's also kids, when you tell them to put away their phone, they completely ignore you. And then you have to make a decision on what you're going to do. So how do I get past that? Because it could be really annoying, right, Yolanda? I just expect it. I'm not going to fight that battle. I'm going to let someone else fight it. Parents, administrators, and then challenge them with the fact that if they're not paying attention because they're on their phone, their grade will suffer. It's all pushed back. So what do we do? We expect it. Peter also, starting with verse number 13 and 14, he also explains that we must have this attitude uh, necessary for us in order to be triumphant in our trials. And he says the following, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, I want to read that again. If you're insulted for the what? Name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. There is a lot being saying in these two verses. But the second attitude we must have in order to be triumphal, triumphant and victorious in trials is to have an attitude of rejoicing. So not only are we expecting it, when they come, we rejoice. We praise the Lord. Why? Because it's proof. Guess what it's proof of? That you're a Christian. You're being picked on. Yes, you're being targeted. Yes, why? Because you are a Christian. But here's the, look at what else it says. In so much as you share in Christ's sufferings, you know, it's a good thing if we share anything with Jesus, including his suffering. What were they doing wrong? Nothing. It's because they were doing right. You rejoice because you're doing what's right. You know, that matters nowadays. The righteous are few. Do you realize how much corruption we have nowadays in our nation, in our world, in our politics, in our businesses, everywhere? So you're going to stand out because you're doing what's right in the midst of a crooked generation. Of course you're going to suffer. But you're also going to be identified. People are going to ask you or people are going to wonder about why you do what's right. Oh, nobody's looking. What does it matter? It matters to you because it matters to your God. Joseph, for instance, when he had the opportunity 
to commit adultery with Potiphar's wife, and she was really into that. She was really trying to convince him. By the way, it wasn't the first time she did it. I can tell you why. Because her husband kept her. He was used to it. I'm telling you, you just dig a little more and you'll find out. Here's the problem. Joseph said no. And he ran. And not just, he didn't entertain the thought. Let me think about this a little bit. Hey, mom and dad and my brothers, they're 500 miles away in Canaan. Nobody knows me here. I don't even really speak good Egyptian. They, I can't, it doesn't matter. It does matter because what he said was he did not want to what? Offend his God. He did the right thing. And then what happened to him if they were doing the right thing? She turned on him, a woman scorned. You have seen no wrath like that of a woman scorned. She was rejected. And guess where he went? He was falsely accused of trying to assault her and he went straight to prison and he's sitting in a prison cell and he might be asking, why am I here? Because you did what's right. So, as the Christian can say, praise the Lord. It identifies you. When you do right, you're identifying yourself with Christ. By the way, when Christ suffered, he was identifying himself with you. He didn't suffer because of anything he did wrong. He suffered for our sake. He went through all that for you and I. He was the lamb without blemish. But he became sin or a sin offering. On Christ fell all our sins. Christ absorbed all our iniquities. And then we're set free because he paid the price. And we're wondering, well, I get to be free? Yes. But why did he suffer? It wasn't right. It wasn't just. He did it for love. And he did it to make things right. So the Father will accept the offering of Christ. And then we, when we accept what Jesus completed at the Father's bidding, he did it. The plan was set up by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Before the foundation of the earth, he was already the Lamb of God. Escape plan. Rescue plan for, for fallen humanity. And Jesus chose the cross took our place in what's called the great exchange, the innocent taking the place of the guilty, the guilty taking place of the one who was innocent. And just like the story of Barabbas where they exchanged prisoners and instead of letting Jesus go who was innocent, he took the burden and the penalty that rightfully belonged to Barabbas, a thief and, and, a, and a seditionist. And Barabbas is set free who really was guilty and the one who's innocent is sent to the cross. That's the plan of salvation. Jesus takes our place. So when we read here that we should rejoice as one of our attitudes that we need to have to have uh, victory in our trials is that we tend to want to embrace the glory that's coming, right? And the joy that's coming. We all want the glory at Jesus' second coming, but none of us want what? The suffering. Because we identify with him. We're, or we could do it depending on our, some people have an unhealthy mindset, if you would, or way of thinking perspective. What they'll do instead is fixate always on the suffering and forget that it's also necessary to know that that suffering is the path the which we must take to reach glory. You can't avoid it. Remember the first point, expect it. 
Second point, rejoice in it. Why? Because God's doing something in your life through it. He's shaping you. He's molding you. He's purifying you. I mean, some of us need some cleaning up. Myself. And guess how it happens? Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Disciplines. You know what the word really means? Disciplines is a little bit English. It means he traineth. He trains. He educates. How does he educate? The school of hard knocks. The university of the desert. People ask me all the time if I have a doctor's degree. I don't, but I tell them I have a DD degree. And they look at me, oh, doctor of dentistry. No, desert degree. Doctorate of the desert. The Lord has thrown me in the desert a few times. And that's where I got my PhD. And guess what? I can rejoice because I found out something. He never left me alone. Even though there were snakes and scorpions all around me. And no way out except for in his time. So we're to rejoice in our trials. We're not to be surprised. We're to expect them. Right? We're not to be fixated on the suffering, but we're also not to forget that there's joy and glory coming, and we need to embrace the fact that there's a prize at the end of this. There is a reward. The weight of our suffering and our trials in this life can't even compare to the weight of glory that awaits us. That's how we get through. You know how I get through some, sometimes, and I keep talking about work. It's because I'm on vacation, so now I can look back. You know how I get through sometimes, Yolanda? Knowing that I get a week off for Thanksgiving. And you know how I'm going to survive the next three weeks before Christmas? Knowing that there's three weeks off in Christmas. And then you know how I survived the second semester? Knowing that I had the whole summer off. And not only that, you know how I survive each month? And you too, not just me, all of us, knowing that when I go to work and I have to put in hard days, there's also a paycheck coming at the end. The reward matters. It's motivator. It's a carrot. One time someone, a dear Christian friend of mine, and I love him to death, but they told me, Pastor, we don't do this to get a reward. We do it because we love Jesus. And I said, you're actually getting closer to the truth. We do it because we're motivated by our love for Jesus. But don't forget, there's a balance always in our walk. We also do it because there's a prize. What do you want him to say to you? Enter into my, my kingdom, you faithless servant. You don't want to hear that. Enter into my kingdom, you faithful servant. We do it for that. I want to hear that, don't you? And what happens when we're not faithful now? For some reason, we have our bumps and we have our uh, moments in life when we, we're going in circles, going nowhere. What do we do when we discover that that's where we're at? We just ask for forgiveness. And we keep moving forward. Amen? When in verse number 13, another interesting fact there that I like, it says, but rejoice in so far as you share, we're partakers in Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So he said it, not me. Right? We rejoice and we're glad not only when we partake in his suffering, but, but when his glory will be revealed. When's his glory going to be revealed? 
when he comes the second time. That's the second coming. See, Jesus is not currently gl completely glorified on the earth right now. He's not even revealed yet. To us, by the Spirit, right? These are Christians who are being suffered and being and persecuted for their righteous lives. But the future, we're to rejoice because look what it also says. When you are insulted for the name of Christ. Anyone here ever been insulted for being a Christian? Or mocked? Amen. You're a Christian? <laughs> I won't say the words. <laughs> That's a bleep in pastor from this pulpit. You're a Christian? <laughs> Guess what it says here? If you are insulted for the name of Christ, because you identify with Christ and because you do what's right, and because you live by faith and you walk by faith and your spirit leads you, you are blessed. What are you? You are blessed. Say it together. But say it personally. I am blessed. Why? Because I was insulted for Christ. Do you see that? See, what this does, this allows us then to know that when we're going through a difficult time, by the way, remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross and they began to mock him? Among other things that were really difficult. The plucking the, the, plucking the beard part, that really kind of, that, gosh, that must hurt. I got kind of like a weird little hair right here. I tried to pull it out yesterday. It was painful. Just one. And I had it all set up with alcohol and everything. It still hurt. When Jesus was on the cross and they were mocking him, when they were saying, hey, you saved others, now save yourself. You know what he said? Nothing. He was doing it for a righteous reason. The plan of salvation and his father had sent him to execute that plan of salvation. But it says here that when we're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. And by the way, the name of Christ is for the sake of Christ, but it also means because you're Christian. Do you know that the early church was called Christians and they were persecuted for it and it at first was an insult, but later they took it as a badge of honor. At first it was an insult. So the Christian, when he's insulted for the name of Christ. He's saying you're blessed. And here's what happens. See, we've got to see that there's a supernatural, dynamic work of God in our lives. It says the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So when you're wondering, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to endure this? Guess what happens when you're genuinely suffering for Christ? You don't think he knows that? Hey, he knows when you're suffering because you ate a deep dish pepperoni pizza at 2 in the morning and you got indigestion. He knows that you're not suffering for the sake of Christ. You're suffering because you ate pepperoni pizza. But he also knows when you are suffering for his sake. And it says that the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. How does that help you? It gives you endurance and strength beyond the physical dimension that you have, the ability that you have in the flesh. He's there to give you at 
dunamis power, which is the word used for the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1. Dynamite power. Supernatural power. What is supernatural power? It's the natural, which we all know, but super. Beyond the natural. We get supernatural power. So in the moment, Jesus said it to his disciples in Matthew 24. Hey, when they throw you, uh, 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 when they drag you out of the synagogues and they throw you before the courts for judgment, don't think about what you're going to say because I will bring all those things to your remembrance. Not because you studied at the school of theology in Jerusalem, but because in that moment when you need me, I'll be there and I'll inspire you and motivate you you with what to say. He'll give us the power. Okay, I'm going to move on from that one because I think I spent too much time there. Point number three of the attitude that we need to have or the attitudes that we need to have and are necessary in order for us to be triumphant in trials is look what verse number 15 says. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or of an evildoer or as a meddler. If, or yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, notice the if, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in the name. What's the point here? Evaluate the cause of your suffering. So this is the third point. In other words... When you're suffering, take a look at why you're suffering. And if you're suffering for some foolishness of your own, guess what? You're not going to like me. Maybe. Maybe you will. It's your fault. You deserve it. We don't even want to go to how far you can suffer in this life for foolish decisions and actions. But if you are suffering because you're a Christian, hey, don't be ashamed, but let, let him glorify God in that name. So the evildoer deserves the suffering for doing what he does and the shame that follows. But the one who does suffer for Christ's sake righteously, don't be ashamed. One of the benefits of the cross, let me say this, I don't need details. I've always kind of told the church, don't give me too many details. But look at your past and ask yourself, have you ever done something shameful? In other words, have you ever done something you wish you never did? Now, I'm going to tell you right now, Satan will drag you down after you're born again to try to remember what you did and make you feel shameful of it. One of the things that Jesus did when we went to Calvary's cross to pay for our sins, he also took our shame. You don't need any reason to be ashamed of anything you did in the past. God used it to bring you to his feet. So you can have that memory as a positive one. At least it brought me to the place where I knew I needed a Savior, and you leave it there. Because as far as east is from west, he will forget our sins. That's a long way when it's a straight line. Infinity. Going both uh, polar dire opposite directions. Don't be ashamed. I don't know why, but it's like the Lord's impressing on me that someone in here needs to let the shame go. Someone needs to be freed from shame. 
He paid for that too equally as he did all your sins at Calvary's cross. Because Romans 8.1, oh, this is why I'm remembering. I was going to say, it says, therefore there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus and those that are led of the Spirit. How much condemnation is to those that are in Christ? No condemnation. Nobody can point the finger at you. No one can bring up your past because it's buried in, in, the, in, the, in the grave of Christ. And then you know he's there for three days because there's a lot to bury. I know that's true in my life. There's a lot to bury. And when he rose in resurrected life, all that stays in the grave. That's why when we're, and behind the screen we have our baptismal. When you go in the water, you're giving testimony that all of your sins are with Christ at his death because he took them for you. When you come out of the water, one of the things that Romans says is you come out to walk in newness of life. It, behold, all has become new. We're new creatures in Christ. It, forget about it. So there's no shame, church. If you have a past, if something is in the past uh, you did in which the enemy continues to try and wake you up and bother you and disturb you about it, just say, get thee behind me, Satan, in Jesus' name. And move on. Don't look back. Kind of the reason why the wife of Lot turned into a pillar of salt. She couldn't look to the future and the newness of what it, there was to be expected because God was merciful in delivering them from that city that was going to be uh, destroyed and condemned. The wrath of God would fall on it. And she still had to look back. She stayed back. We don't look back anymore. There is no shame for those of us. So, evaluate the cause of your suffering, of your difficulties, of your trials. And if you did something to deserve it, then ask God for forgiveness. But... There is no shame once you do. And then if you did something and are suffering because you did something right, then for, for, for God's glory it was done. Suffering for the name of Christ is a blessing. That's what Peter's telling us. And finally, uh, a couple more verses and we're going to wrap this up. It says, for the time of judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begin with us, what will be the outcome? The, uh, the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel. Okay, so the word judgment is kind of not really the right word here. I'm going to tell you, it, it has not speaking of condemnation because then we would, he would be contradicting himself. Is there any condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus? No. Here what he's talking about is the, is the testing or the, the purging and the purifying that goes on when we suffer. So, if we suffer for doing right, listen to me, if we as Christians suffer for doing righteous things because we live in a fallen world, it's, it's a law, then what will happen to those, how will they suffer for their evil and when they're going to be judged by God? And let me read it to you. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? For if we as a church suffer and we're tested for doing good, what will happen to those that don't obey the gospel? I don't know. It's going to be terrible. That's what it says. See, we can't get away from 
the pressure, the test, the fire. But if it's for the right reason, it's good. But there is coming a pressure. There is coming a fire. There is coming a judgment for those that don't know Christ. So get to know Christ so you can avoid that. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, says the Hebrew writer in chapter 2. We can't escape if we neglect the purchased salvation of Christ at Calvary's cross. We can't escape. Sooner or later, you'll have to face your maker and give account for your sins, but not those that know Christ because he took them away at Calvary's cross. And then verse 4, Therefore, let those who suffer, how? According to God's will, do what? Entrust their souls to a faithful creator for doing good. So, the final attitude that we have to have in order to be triumphant in our trials is to entrust it to God. In other words, when you're suffering, it's your soul that's suffering, isn't it? It's you that's suffering. Your soul is you. And this is a banking term, entrust. It means to deposit for safekeeping. So what we do when we're suffering is we say, Lord, here's my life. I give it to you. Or, as the song said that we sang before, I lay it down for you. I do it all the time. I wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I lay my life down again. Jesus, uh, Paul said, I die daily. In one of his uh, letters. I die daily. Well, you're committing, you're making a decision every day before you leave your house, get, even before you get out of bed, hopefully, you're saying to the Lord, good morning, thank you for a new day. Use me somehow, some way for glorifying you. I give you my life, and whatever comes my way, I'm trusting you. That's what we do. If we're not doing it, then I'm going to ask you to start doing it. Because that's what he's saying here. We entrust, we deposit and if we go through suffering in our soul, then that too belongs to the Lord. And then notice he uses, we entrust your, our souls to a faithful what? Creator. Right? To remind us that we're simply giving back to the Creator what He created. What did He create? Your soul. When He breathed into Adam, this pile of dust and mud, if you will, he became a living what? Soul. It's his anyway. When you learn your life belongs to Christ and you give it to him back every day, then you will triumph in trials. Because then whose battle is it? His. And you get to do what? You get to rest because it says that rest earlier, right? When we're in a test, we get to rest. There's my little rap song for the close of the sermon. I knew I was going to come out with something sooner or later. One last thing, entrust. I want to give you the Greek word. It's paratithium. I'll spell it. I'm not good at it. Why am I, why am I bringing it out? Because I found out something interesting. P-A-R-A T-I-T-H-M-I. However you say that. It's the same word that Jesus used 
when he was on the cross and he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he died. The same word where we entrust those who, of us who are suffering according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. It's, we're putting our lives in God's hands. We're laying our lives down at his feet. We're depositing, we're committing to God who we are when we're suffering. Now notice we're suffering while doing good. May we be a church that's doing good when we're suffering. And may it be for the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's go take on the day. Let's go take on the week in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, Peter knew exactly what he was talking about because he was one who suffered for your name's sake, even though at first he was a coward. You gave him a second and a third and a fourth chance. And now he's writing to the church, giving us these four attitudes that we need to have, Lord, that we just went over. Our prayer, Lord, is that we would apply this understanding to our walk. And by doing so, we live victoriously and triumphantly for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, comfort the one who's going through difficulty. Comfort the one who's being persecuted comfort the one for whatever reason the trial that they're in whether it be health related or finances or whatever you know what it is father give them these tools father through the help of the holy spirit and it starts with our thinking and our faith and understanding and we act on it lord and no matter what's happening we do this and we pray this in jesus name amen